0: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, it's Masters Week. Augusta National, the Green Jacket, Amen Corner, Butler Cabin. It's all back, and I couldn't be more excited. It's my favorite golf tournament of the year. I absolutely love it. And so we've got a lot of content coming your way for the Masters this week. In fact, we will have three total episodes coming your way this week where we'll break down different aspects of this golf tournament. On today's episode, we're going to break down the course, Augusta National itself go over some very specific stats on what you can expect to see this week, how golfers can attack the course, and what type of golf generally succeeds here at this pristine golf establishment. On tomorrow's episode, we're going to do our DFS preview, talk about how to build DFS lineups, talk about different guys you can target, different value plays you can look at, and just different ways that you can score DraftKings and FanDuel points on your way to possibly winning a million dollars. And then on Tuesday's episode, we're going to break down some different picks and bets that you can make if you're doing any kind of pools, any kind of drafts, who you might want to target for that as well, uh, and just kind of any sort of uh, other ancillary things you can do surrounding the Masters. Y'all, it's going to be a great week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, so that way you'll be notified when new episodes drop. And if you don't mind, if you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast. It really helps me out a lot. All right, now without further ado, let's go ahead and start the analysis of Augusta National Golf Club. But first, a quick word from our friends at Spotify. All right, I was doing my best, Jim Nance Golf Voice, uh, for the introduction there. And uh, let me tell you, it does not go well with the throat. But anyway, here we are, y'all. Let's go ahead and start breaking down Augusta National Golf Club. So if you are here, you don't need me to tell you that much about Augusta National. You can picture this in your head as I'm talking about. But let's just go over the specifics what we're looking at on the scorecard. So Augusta National is a par 72. It is about 7,500 yards this year. Hole 13 has been lengthened a bit. It's the par five that kind of winds its way around the corner and you have to hit overweight Raise Creek to the green. They actually push the tee box back, which makes it a much more claustrophobic tee shot. And really requires a right-to-left ball flight if you want to go for the green in two. That's a draw for right-handed golfers or a fade for left-handed golfers. I expect that it's going to make it slightly more challenging, but I still think you're going to see a lot of guys that go for this green in two shots, and you're still going to see a good amount of eagles and birdies, even with the tee shot lengthened. Now, last year... Um, it was actually still a little bit longer than it previously was, which this year it's longer than it was last year. In last year's Masters, hole 11 and hole 15 were lengthened. 11 was not more difficult as some trees were removed and actually the fairway was contoured differently so that way drives could roll out farther to the green. Um, So it was made a little longer but not made more difficult. 15 actually was more difficult though. More trees were put in on the left side, which makes the second shot a little more claustrophobic. Um, But still that was another hole where another par 5 where a lot of guys go for the green in two. Speaking of the par fives, we just mentioned two of them, hole 13 and hole 15. They are two of the four par fives on the property. The other two par fives are hole two and hole eight. And at this golf tournament, it is super important to score at the par fives. These are really the most gettable holes on the course and really all four of them, I think the longest hitters are going to go for two in all of them. And really, I think even the shortest hitters can go for two on hole two and hole 13. Um, So you're going to see a lot of scoring being done on the par fives. And in fact, it's my opinion that if you simply play the par fives at minus three every round, and you just manage to play the rest of the round, even par, you can win this golf tournament because that would put you at minus 12 at the end of the weekend. And minus 10 has been the winning score in each of the past two years. Now, how you get to even par for the rest of your round, though, is kind of up to you. The par three can be pretty tough. In fact, hole four specifically is very tough. It's about 230 yards and it's just got an insane green. It's not only very hard to hit, but very hard to putt on. And that one is one where when you get to the tee box, you're just hoping to avoid a bogey more so than you know, looking to make a birdie. So um, another thing that's important to note about Augusta National is that there are no split tees. So everybody is going to tee off on one and everybody's going to finish on 18. Not like a lot of tournaments where, you know, they split one and 10 um, or, you know, they split afternoon flight and morning flight. Guys pretty much just tee off every 10 minutes at Augusta and then they flip the order the next day. So they're guys whose tee times actually don't flip very much at all um, thanks to the way they do things. Anyway, what that means is um, holes one through four, if you pretty much get through holes one through four and you're at minus one, you should be feeling pretty good about your golfer. Uh, and if you're at minus two, you should be feeling really good because pretty much two is setting up as a birdie hole and then four, you're just looking to avoid bogey on. So if you manage to get a birdie out of one or three, Um, You can be looking really good through hole four. Definitely in a good shape to finish your round on a good note. Now, 12 is another hole that can be tough. It is a short par three. It's the one on Amen Corner um, where green jacket dreams go to die on Sunday because they put that pin in the back, right? And there's a lot of guys that go for it. uh, And it just never seems to end well when people go for it. That's the one where really you just want to hit to the middle of the green. Put it on the green. Two putt for par and go about your business on to the rest of your round. 16 is the last par three, which is actually like sneaky birdieable because there's a lot of contours on the green where depending on where the pin location is, you can kind of groove it in and have it roll like right on down to the pin location. 16 is the one where it's most likely to see a hole in one on this week by far of any of the par threes at Augusta National. Now, 17 and 18 are long par fours, so really your scoring is likely done after hole 16 on each day. Those are two holes where pretty much you're just looking to go par par and end your day on a solid note. And in fact, 17 and 18 are long par fours. Most of the par fours on the course are long par fours. One and three are really the only shorter ones. Uh, The rest are all over 450 yards, and 10 and 11 in particular are about 500. So you're looking at two... You know, really long par 4s in 10 and 11, and then 17 and 18 are pretty tough as well. So like I said, scoring on the par 5s is going to be key. There's not a whole lot of birdie par 4s or birdie par 3s out there. Now, Augusta National Golf Club, though, is a lot more than what you see on the scorecard. It just has a certain um, je ne sais quoi, should I say, that makes it one of the most unique golf courses on the PGA Tour, and definitely one where it just makes for such good television viewing every week every year year in year out august national is just great on television right now first off what makes it different from most courses in its area is that it features bent grass greens unlike most of the pga tour courses that are in the southern united states most of them feature bermuda grass August National's bent grass, and it's because Bermuda would likely still be dormant in northern Georgia in early April. Now, because of that, these greens are really like particularly mowed and cared for. They are some of the fastest, most undulating greens on tour. Some guys are good at putting at them, some are not. In fact, August National tends to be very sticky in terms of course history. It is number one on the PGA Tour in terms of course history correlation of any golf course. What that means is, out of all the courses that are played yearly on the PGA Tour, it is number one in predicting how well you're going to do this year by how well you've done in years past. And that is because it is such a unique golf course. It is such a like unique experience that guys that play well at Augusta tend to play well again at Augusta. Now, what's also interesting though, is it features very wide and very hilly fairways. So it's not hard to hit these fairways. And really there's not a whole lot of penal rough. Like if you miss the fairways, you're pretty much either gonna be in like very manageable rough or pine straw. Like there's not a whole lot of in between. It's not like a US open where if you miss, you're hitting at a six inch rough. But the key thing is, You're going to have to be able to hit off of uphill, downhill, side hill, or just generally uneven lies in these fairways. And it's a very tough skill in golf, and it gets used a lot here. It's why I've always said that, like, amateur golfers would actually do okay at Augusta off the tee and on their second shot because amateur golfers are kind of used to shots like that, right? Like, you know, if you just go out and play golf, you are not used to, you know, playing off of perfect lies every time. Like if you're like me and you spray it all over the place and you play it, you know, random golf courses, you're gonna be used to, you know, playing off these side hills, uphill, downhill lies, right? In fact, if any PGA tour golfer wants to help train for Augusta next year, I will gladly pay $32 for you to come play Winding Creek Golf Course in Thomasville, North Carolina with me. And I can teach you all about side hill, uphill and downhill lies. That, that, That offer extends to any PGA tour golfer, by the way. So anyway, that's a very unique skill, right? And guys that don't have that skill don't really play well here. But the guys that have the level of creativity and the level of shot making to hit off of, you know, awkward lies tend to score very well at Augusta. Three guys or really four guys really stand out to me in terms of having that skill just from what I've watched on TV for the last few years and that is Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, Cam Smith and Shane Lowry. Those four guys can hit off of any lie, they have a lot of creativity. They really have you know, when they're on, have complete control of the golf ball. Um, and I just think that those four, that, that skill is a very key factor for those four guys. In fact, Augusta National as a whole requires a masterclass of shot making in order to succeed. You have to be able to deal with the terrain and the fairway, but you also have to have a lot of finesse and touch around the greens. These greens are very undulating they're very fast and so you have to be really deft with your pitch and your chip shots if you want to be able to get up and down the green regulation percentage is not super high here so you're going to have to be able to get up and down for those pars and around the green play is an important statistic look at year in and year out but the problem is is because of how this course is set up, there are guys who are good around the green here that aren't good around the green elsewhere. But generally speaking, if you're good around the green elsewhere, you're going to be good around the greens at Augusta National. It just requires a little bit of touch and a little bit of finesse. All right, so enough about the course itself. Let's take a quick breather and then let's talk about some trends that are noteworthy when trying to pick a golfer to win this golf tournament. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when picking somebody to do well at Augusta, there's a lot of factors that come into play. Now, one thing that I do really want to look at, though, is I want to look at all the winners in recent years. And I just want to see, like, what common characteristics did they have? You know, what were they playing like? What are they good at? You know, how can I kind of pick apart who might win this year's golf tournament? Now, generally speaking, the winners, when they're coming into this tournament, are generally playing pretty well before they arrive. Augusta National is not a place where you can come and get right. It's a place where... You are playing well and you're going to continue playing well at Augusta. None of the last six champions have missed the cut in their previous start prior to teeing it up at Augusta. In fact, Hideki Matsuyama is the only one who missed a cut in two starts previous to his win at Augusta National. And of the last five spring champions, so not excluding uh, or not including Dustin Johnson's fall championship in 2020, thanks, COVID, um, Hideki and Sergio were the only two who didn't make it out of their group at the match play. Obviously, the match play being the last event that most pros played um, before coming to Augusta because Hideki is the only one um, that played the Valero Texas Open prior to winning. And Hideki also bucks another trend. Hideki is the only one that didn't have a top 12 finish in his last three starts prior to winning. So um, really, when you're looking at the winner's um, if Hideki Matsuyama had not won in 2021, you would be looking at a lot of rock solid trends with those last six winners. Now, another thing that is kind of important, though, is that Scotty Scheffler is the only one who won his very last start before Augusta. He won the Match Play Championship last year. So, um, sorry, Corey Connors, but that trend doesn't exactly bode well for the guy that won the Valero Texas Open. Now, bottom line is... Like, you got to have guys that are playing well, right? We haven't seen any winner come in that just wasn't playing well at all, wasn't gaining strokes across the board, wasn't gaining strokes specifically across the green before they came in. Now, we've seen solid finishes from guys who come in with bad recent form. Uh, Like, specifically last year, Colin Morikawa did not come in in good form and Cameron Champ did not come in with good form, Uh, and they both you know, played pretty well last year, finished well, scored you a lot of DraftKings points, but they didn't win the golf tournament. If you wanna win the Masters, you're probably gonna have recent form coming in. Now also, like we said earlier, course history is stickier here than any other tournament, but are there any other factors that could play into being good at Augusta National? Well, birth area has a small correlation. Texas guys have historically done pretty well, Byron Nelson, Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, Ben Crenshaw, Jordan Spieth, and Scotty Scheffler have all won the tournament and all have either grew up in Texas or played golf for the University of Texas. And in fact, we also saw a random Texas Longhorn, Dylan Fratelli, post a top 10 finish. He's actually a rarity because he was a Texas Longhorn, and he was also born in South Africa, and South Africans have also done very well at this golf tournament. Gary Player, Trevor Emmerman, and Charles Schwartzel have all won the event. Louis Ustazen lost in a playoff to Bubba Watson. Uh, And Charles Schwartzel, in addition to his win, posted a top 10 finish last year. So Texans and South Africans, there there must be something with the terrain that kind of allows those guys to be, you know, just able to make the shots that are required at Augusta National. That's that's two that do pretty well. Another that does pretty well is guys that have played college golf at the University of Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs. Um, They tend to play pretty well here. But Bubba Watson has won the event twice. Patrick Reed had a cup of coffee at Georgia. Look that up if you really want an intriguing story. Um, And he won this event. Um, And then Brian Harmon also has a few good finishes as Georgia Bulldog. Russell Henley also has posted a few as well. Now, Bubba Watson and Brian Harmon also have another feature that plays well here. They are left-handed. There are a lot of tee shots on this course that benefit a right-to-left ball flight, which, as a lefty myself, I know, greatly benefits a lefty because it's going to allow you to hit a fade, which is a natural shot for a lot of left-handed golfers. Now, Phil Mickelson has also won here twice. Mike Weir has won this event. And the Scottish Robert McIntyre was top 10 in his only appearance. So um, you're looking at Bubba, Phil, Mike Weir that won it. Brian Harmon, Robert McIntyre played well. Yeah, that's enough of a sample size for me to determine lefties tend to do pretty well here at Augusta National. Now, in non-geographical terms, is there anything like in terms of a golfer skill set? could play well here. Well, um, bombers off the tee tend to do pretty well here. Being able to hit it very far off the tee is a big advantage at Augusta National because the fairways are very wide. There's not a lot of rough. So you're going to get a whole lot of run out if you're able to hit a bomb off the tee. And really, honestly, there's not a whole lot of holes where water comes into play. So you can't really spray it into a whole lot of trouble. Yes, you could end up in the trees or in the pine straw, you know, having to punch out. But hey, that's just a one shot. And you're probably going to be able to get enough run out that you're going to have a wedge into the green from wherever you punch it out to so being able to bomb it off the tee does bode pretty well you know talking about the original like tiger was the original bomber obviously um and then you've got wins from bubba you've got a win from dustin Scotty got shuffler hits it pretty long as well now the one exception to this rule is a guy who has not played pretty well here and that's bryson dechambeau um and to me that kind of doesn't like shock me like i was all on the bryson train like When he was starting to do his stuff in 2020, won the U.S. Open, I'm like, holy crap, this guy might revolutionize golf. But Augusta National, it just doesn't play well for him because he's so robotic in everything he does. You know, all his irons are one leg. He tries to do the same thing every time. But you can't do that at Augusta National because you're not going to be dealing with these flat lies every time. And so just, you know, you're going to have to have a level of creativity. Just being a bomber off the tee doesn't just instantly make you have – Um, you know, some good success. You're going to have to be creative off the tee, around the green with your irons. Like you can't just hit it like you're at a driving range every time. Now, lastly, there are also a few guys who are bad putters, but are somehow good putters here at Augusta. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it happens. Uh, Specifically, Corey Connors plays really well here and putts really well here. Will Zalatoris plays really well here and putts really well here. And Adam Scott, Another noted bad putter who putts really well here. So if you're looking like at all the numbers this week, I would kind of throw out putting in general as a determining factor, unless it is their putting specifically here at Augusta National. Now, lastly, is the whole trial of the debutante. Um, guys that come and play Augusta for the first time. How do they do? Well, we have seen a lot of good finishes from debutantes, like Jordan Spieth runner-up in 2014, Will Zawa runner-up to Hideki in 2021, Minwoo Lee was not bad last season, but we have not seen a debutante win the Masters since Fuzzy Zeller back in 1978. So, um... Quite a long time and quite a big enough sample size to determine hey, there probably isn't going to be a guy making his first trip to Augusta that wins here. You're, generally speaking, the more you play this course, the better you get at it. And when you're looking at guys' course history, I like to see guys who get better every time they play here, right? Uh, and so, an example of that, like Scotty Scheffler, obviously, you know. Came in seventeenth in twenty twenty one, and then won the event in twenty twenty two. Colin Morikawa has gotten better every time he played this event. Um, So you know that's something to look at as well when you're looking at course history. Is you want guys that you know maybe they might really had not played well here as a debutant, but now um, are they playing well here as they get later into their careers? All right, so let's go ahead and take another quick breather, and then we're going to talk about a few comp courses for Augusta National. You know what can we compare this course to? So first off, you know, I've been going off on pretty much all day about how you can't really compare Augusta National. It's super unique. Like, you know, there's nowhere else like it. So yeah, there's no course that like is directly like Augusta National. But I do think that there are courses out there where guys who do well at Augusta National also do well at these other courses. And there's also features of these other courses that kind of play a little bit with like what we're going to see here at Augusta. So the first of which that I think is the closest comparison is Riviera, which is home with the Genesis Invitational, which has been won by Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson, and Adam Scott, who have all also won the Masters. So, you know, it's kind of a decent comparison because of its length. It's about the same. It's also got very unique green complexes. It's very tough to get up and down. It's got those little short game areas where you know, you got to have a lot of skill around the greens to get up and down from. But Riviera is much flatter and Riviera is much narrower than August National. So I don't think it's the best, like apples to apples comparison. But hey, the around the green play and the length all do kind of match up. Now, recent winners of this event include John Rahm, Joaquin Neiman, and Max Homa. Tony Finau has also played well here. Colin Morikawa and Roy McElroy have also played well here. Bay Hill which is home of the Arnold Palmer Invitational, is also a really good comparison, in my opinion. It's been won by Tiger Woods, Vijay Singh, and Scotty Scheffler, who have won the Masters, and then Jason Day and Rory McIlroy, who have played well at the Masters. Bay Hill is very firm and fast, which is kind of similar to Augusta National. It's another place where getting up and down can be tricky. Um, So I think that, You know, that's kind of a natural comparison. Another long course that plays firm and fast. And if the wind picks up, it can be really, really difficult at Bay Hill. Now, that tournament was won this year by Kurt Kitayama, but um, I wouldn't look too much deeper into like recent winners of this tournament because it's also been won by Tyrrell Hatton and Bryson DeChambeau, neither of which have a great track record at Augusta. Now, the last course, That I would compare to Augusta is the Plantation Course at Kapalua, um, home of the Century Tournament of Champions. It has been won by Tiger Woods, Vijay Singh, Zach Johnson, Jordan Spieth, and Dustin Johnson, all of whom have won the Masters. Y'all notice how Tiger Woods' name pops up like every time? It's almost like that guy's pretty good at golf. Anyway, Kapalua is a very long golf course with very wide fairways, but Kapalua is kind of a birdie fest. It's much easier to find birdies on these greens, Um, but it kind of does track with guys that play well at Augusta kind of play well at Kapalua. Um, John Rahm won the event this year. Cam Smith won before that. And Harris English, Justin Thomas, and Xander Schauffele all have wins at Kapalua. And then Colin Morikawa and Tom Hoagie finished well there this year with second and third. So if you're looking to add some names to um, your list for DFS or for betting, um, there's a few courses, a few names that might be worth looking into. Now, speaking of names that are worth looking into, um, we, The big question this week is going to be what does everybody make of the live golfers, right? Like, you know, they're not playing on the PGA Tour. They're not playing 72 hole events. They're not really playing super competitive golf because they're kind of all just playing out their signing bonuses. So really, what do we make of these guys coming into this event? Can we bet them or pick them as if they are their old selves? Or can we, you know, just kind of discount them because they're playing on the little minor league tour over there, if you want to call it that. Now, this is the first Masters where we have the Live versus PGA narrative. Live was like not even a thing last year when the Masters was around. And really, we only have one major, which was last year's Open Championship to kind of base the Live guys off of. Uh, And the results there were not really catastrophic, but like this was when Live was first founded. So you didn't really have a big sample size of them playing the 54 hole schedule to, um, you know, kind of see how it went. Now, none of the Live guys that were actively playing on Live actually contended at the Open at St. Andrews, but DJ, Bryson, and Taylor Gooch were all around on the weekend. uh, And Cam Smith, who ended up being a Live guy, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but he ended up committing to Live. He ended up winning that Open Championship anyway. So what I did was um, this Sunday, sitting at home, I did something that I've never done. I sat down and I actually watched the Live Golf event. I, I gotta admit, I've not been a fan of Live Golf. I've not been in favor of it. I think that in general, what it has done is it has helped the players on the PGA Tour get, not only for the ones that are on Live, but it's helped the PGA Tour guys get a little more money um, and get a little more leverage in terms of their rights as independent contractors. But I don't think that like, after watching it, I don't think that Live is like growing the game at all. like I don't think there's going to be a kid sitting at home that watched Live Orlando this week and is like, hey, I want to do that when I grow up. Whereas you're going to have kids that sit at home and watch somebody put on a green jacket next week that are going to instantly go to their backyard and start swinging a golf club because that is what you want if you're playing golf. You want to play for the green jacket. You want to play for the majors. You want the drama on Sundays with the best in the world. There. Live is not that. Now, like I said, I did watch this event and I really just wanted to see what these guys were playing like. And I kind of, you know, got away with a lot of observations that was not as much of their current play as I would have liked. First off, the course selection was puzzling. Like this was not a PGA tour caliber course that they were playing at, in my opinion, in Orlando. Second off the leaderboard, which was, you know, in the TV presentation was very F1 like, like they were counting down the holes to play. uh, And they had the team logo next to each golfer. um, And it was just kind of odd. And the music going on in the background was also odd. There were a few guys that requested it to be turned off and they got it. There were a few guys that didn't and they just swung through music. It was kind of weird. But the weirdest thing of all was the shorts. Like I didn't think it was very weird to be playing golf in shorts because me personally, I play golf in shorts a lot, right? But – there were a lot of golfers on the live tour that simply do not know what combination of shoes and socks to wear with shorts. And a lot of them looked very goofy. Like Brooks Kepka pulled it off. Like, you know, he was showing the calves, good combination of shoes and socks with the shorts he had on, you know, it looked all right. But there were a lot of guys that just looked plain goofy wearing shorts and golfing. And it just, I, it was very distracting. Anyway, the last part of it that was very distracting was I found it very cringeworthy how they kept kind of forcing the team narrative down everyone's throat. Like they kept cutting to random guys and like saying like oh like you know this is to get their team to minus 25 when it was like seventh on the team leaderboard like I just thought it was kind of odd they kept talking about the teams and it's like you know these are kind of just made up teams where the talent isn't really even all that even between the teams and so it just doesn't really feel like a like a genuine narrative it feels kind of forced it feels kind of uneven. And it just was kind of weird that they kept hyping it up as I was watching this event. I I, I very much did not care for the team aspect, but here's the the big takeaway from Liv. At the end of the day, it's a lot of very talented golfers that this is not top tier competitive golf. And I kind of think that, yeah, like I think that some of these guys, like you're not just going to count them out the golf tournament for the masters this week because they're on live like like patrick reed and dustin johnson were both solid like their games are not in a bad spot but like this was not the intensity level that you're going to see at augusta however there was one guy that was playing with that intensity level and that was brooks kepka um brooks kepka absolutely had his swagger back um, playing this live Orlando event. Like he was walking around, like he was, you know, 2019 Brooks Kepka. Like I'm about to win every major. I'm about to dust all y'all. I'm the baddest MF for here. Like that was just how he was walking around and his approach game in this golf tournament was outstanding. Um, he was like, Hitting what felt like every green to, you know, hitting it pretty close. And then he was making the putts. He had a lot of clutch putts to kind of keep the lead over Sebastian Munoz, even when Munoz kept pressing him. Uh, and so if you're looking next week for the Masters, if you're looking for what any of these live guys do, I would be inclined to give Brooks Kepka a serious look. Not, not only because of what he did here at Live Orlando, but because of what he's done in his career. Brooks Kepka lives for the four majors. Brooks Kepka um the form does not matter coming into the majors. He's, he's going to play his absolute best golf. He wants to put on that green jacket. He wants it very badly. And so he's kind of the guy that I'll be looking at out of all the big name live guys that I'd be looking into playing this next week here at Augusta. Now, if you're not playing any of the big name live guys, I think Louis Oosthuizen and Charles Schwartz are both live guys that, even though they didn't finish well this weekend, their course history at Augusta speaks for itself. And I'd definitely be interested in playing them as value plays on DFS. Speaking of DFS... That concludes our course preview episode for the 2023 Masters. We will be back tomorrow to talk about DFS specifically. We're going to be doing our DFS preview. So we're going to be talking about lineup construction. We're going to be profiling individual golfers, who we think might play well here, who we think might not play well here, um, and just going on different ways where you can fill out your lineups. Um, DraftKings is doing the Millionaire Maker. Talk about some strategies for winning that Millionaire Maker as well. All right, so that does it for the first of three Masters episodes this week. Like I said, DFS preview coming tomorrow. And then the bets, picks, one and done, pools, whatever, drafts, anything else coming on Tuesday as well. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. Uh, That way you'll be notified when new episodes drop. And please rate and review the podcast. It really helps me out a lot. All right, guys. Like I said, we'll be back this week. Best of luck to everybody with whatever you're doing for the Masters this week. Um, Thank you guys for listening to this episode and I will see you guys tomorrow.